Francisco Lindor had limited options in terms of how he could win back the Mets fan base during the regular season last night. He, he chose well. We'll talk about it right now. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. It's Doug Williams and Andy Martino with you on this episode. A reminder to subscribe to the Shane Anything podcast wherever you're listening. We appreciate it. And Shane Anything is brought to you by Verizon. It's 5G, but right for the Mets from the network. More people rely on only on Verizon. Once again, you can catch Andy a couple times a week. Uh, you can catch myself usually five days a week on Baseball Night in New York. That's weeknights at six o'clock talking all things New York baseball. And that's going to be a fun one tonight. And it's going to be a fun little podcast this afternoon, Andy, because... You could not script a juicier Sunday night baseball matchup yeah. between the Mets and the Yankees last night. Pretty awesome. Um, and it's look, I, I'm not blowing smoke. You and I have been friends for a while now. You're the perfect guy to have on the podcast to talk about this. Not just well, because, it did float into my wheelhouse. That's yes, true. it really did. It really, really did. So um, I'm sure everybody listening is familiar with the fact that during the ESPN broadcast. Uh, Buster Olney and Marley Rivera kind of together for ESPN reported out this uh, story that on Saturday, uh, Jonathan VR noticed some whistling coming from the Yankee dugout when Taiwan Walker was pitching. He goes over to Walker. Hey, man, I think you're tipping and they have your signs and everything kind of improved from there in the Walker outing. Um, then Lindor hits three home runs last night. And after the second one going around second base, he made a gesture towards he said Glaber Torres looked towards left field somewhere, whether it was shortstop or left field, and made a whistling gesture and then talked to Peralta on his way around third base. Wandy Peralta was on the mound. So Andy has a bunch of reporting in terms of uh, where the whistling may have come from. And just to give everybody some background, in 2019, in the postseason, Andy, right? Yeah, game one of the so, ALCS. Game one ALCS, Andy writes a story about how the Yankees, Phil Nevin realized that the Astros were stealing signs and whistling to get the batter's attention when something was coming. Yankees uh, were not happy about it, obviously, and it became a whole thing. So that's what this story uh, kind of picked up steam with last night was this is what the Yankees were upset at the Astros for. Look at them doing it to the Mets. So, Andy, you can take it from there. What, what have you learned since last night about this yeah. story and how is it progressing? Well, that the Astros context is exactly why this was a, a bigger deal than it might have been otherwise. Look, picking up on tipping and stuff like that is obviously common. One of the reasons this initially really got my attention was because, as you just said, Doug, I, I reported out in this book, like, actually, this is the lead scene of, of the book, that um, the Astros doing the whistling and Boone, Aaron Boone and Phil Nevin and the Yankee bench exploding over it. Uh, so I knew how deeply offended the Yankees were by that, like really, really mad for a long time about what happened. So I'm thinking, wow, is it really possible that two years later they're doing this or, or what's going on here? I will tell you without naming the people that I called some, some people I know in the Yankee organization uh, Monday morning, this morning, and, and honestly basically said like, we were on the phone, so I didn't say look me in the eye. <laughs> but I was like, look me in the eye via telephone and, and what, what's the deal here? 
are you doing, are you guys doing this? You know? And I also called Mets people who were in the dugouts. I've talked to people in both dugouts. Marley and Buster's reporting was absolutely accurate. Uh, so not, not in any way um, contradicting that at all. Uh, the, the entirely full version that I heard and believe because I heard it from both sides, piecing this together from both sides was that Taiwan Walker was tipping his pitches on Saturday. Uh, Wandy Peralta was whistling in the dugout. Those are facts, right? So VR, who is a guy who's good at this kind of thing, I've now learned, he's the kind of kind of guy that can kind of like hear stuff and see stuff. Uh, he's playing third base. He looks over to the, to the uh, Yankee dugout and he sees that Peralta is whistling. He's not certain that it's connected to the pitch tipping, but he's certainly suspicious about it. So he tells Walker, Walker uh, corrects what he's doing and is more effective, obviously, in the game from that point on. Um, the reason that Lindor said, I'm not 100% certain, but I think it was uh, whistling to convey pitches is because they weren't certain. They thought like, all right, this guy's whistling and our pitcher's tipping. Um, but this is kind of key too, is that the Mets do not believe people in the Mets dugout. I'm not speaking for Sandy Alderson or Steve Cohen or that kind of the Mets people who were down on the field do not believe that it was anyone other than Wandy Peralta who was whistling. This is not the Yankees denying this is from the Mets set. So what happened with the Astros was this widespread whistling thing. Alex Centrum was doing it, but it was, the Astros later admitted to me it was because Sanchez was tipping. And you're not supposed to do that. It's not electronic sign feeling, but it is against the rules and enforced by MLB to do that kind of whistling thing. So the, the Mets didn't believe that like the Yankees are doing this widespread thing. Now, here's where we diverge a little between what the two teams think. The Yankees, Yankees people were very irritated this morning. Like, this is a non-story. What is Lindor doing? We weren't doing anything. And they claim, as Joey Gallo said publicly, and they really insist that Peralta is like a class clown type guy who was trying to lighten up the dugout by yelling, whistling, being annoying, being goofy. And the Mets are like, uh, all right, on that, on that point, right? So uh, that's where we may never know. But even the Mets think that if Peralta was whistling to convey the tip pitches, that it was Peralta freelancing on his own and not something that Boone or the coaching staff or any other Yankee players were a big part of. You know, what's funny is I undersold your importance to the podcast today because I think it's actually even more relevant that you were the reason AJ Hinch lost his mind in 2019 right. at that story and less relevant that you wrote the book on sign stealing. It's called cheated. You can buy it anywhere books are sold. Um, so I didn't even include that in my preamble. Uh, but that is indeed why uh, Andy's kind of the, the foremost expert on the sign stealing stuff. So before we go any further into the specifics, um, I was listening to Todd Zeal on the post game last night. Uh, he did not seem at all outraged, even before we had the information that you just conveyed that, you know, uh, you would whistle the signs to the to the batter because he was like anything that happens naturally uh, from using your eyes. I'm okay with. So again, it goes back to this old conversation, Andy, even though you just said major league baseball thinks this is illegal, it's not cool. Um, did the players really like if, if Taiwan Walker is tipping his pitches and the Yankees realize they can gain an advantage off of somebody else's mistake, 
and they whistle to convey that. If that all did happen, mm-hmm. does every player across baseball think that that's wrong? No, there's going to be a variety of opinions, of course, but this has changed since Todd played, I will say, with all great respect. Obviously, Todd, I believe, is the best studio analyst in New York, so not contradicting him at all, but uh, this was spring of 2019. Joe Torre and Chris Young, who then were high-ranking Major League Baseball officials, went to every manager and said, no whistling, no audio cues, no nothing like that. So um, if it was socially acceptable when Todd was playing in in the 90s and 2000s, uh, MLB's explicitly moved the goalpost on that since. I'll say that. Okay. Well, that's important background. And um, I was trying to get a handle on the story last night, listening to Lindor. Your reporting has filled in the gaps of what he said. Um, and to Lindor's credit, he was much, much, much more forthcoming. It, it gave me a little idea that maybe he learned his lesson from the rat raccoon thing because he, he really tried, you could tell, to explain the way he felt about it. Like he was like, point. I, I don't know for sure that he was doing this, but I took offense to it. I heard what I heard. I took it personally. He used the MJ line from The Last Dance. Mm-hmm. He's seen that meme one too many times. And um, look, he kind of explained it imperfectly, which I thought was honest. Like he was like, I'm not. He didn't seem fired up. He's like, I'm not trying to fight anybody. And I was thinking, well, good, because John Carlos Stanton is made of stone. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. I just thought like it was a messy story, a messy situation. And by the way, it involves packed house at City Field, a huge game for both teams, like a lot of emotion to it, too. Yeah. So after the emotion wears off, it, there are going to be holes you can poke in it. And like your your friend and, and uh, colleague Dave Lennon, um, colleague you can call him a colleague even though you don't work he's with more him, of right? a competitor but competitor okay but, I, but a friend. Um, he lennon was one of the guys lindor tried to say and again i want you to get this right that i'm not blaming them for stealing signs i don't know i just know what i heard and lennon was like in his follow-up well you, you seem to have some conviction behind what you did on the field <laughs> yeah. so there must have been something that you really thought was happening yeah um what did you make of of what Lindor said, and then we'll get to the importance of the, the the home runs that he hit. Well, I think you made a good point, perhaps, about an adjustment to, from the rat-raccoon thing, and obviously there's no rat or raccoon in the world that would be a match for Stanton in a fist fight, so it's good that he wasn't trying anything like that. Um, Dave was right, though. Dave London was right. So Lindor is like, I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just making an overt, taunting gesture to the New York Yankees in front of the entire country on national television, but I'm not saying... So, okay, you know, Lindor is trying to play both sides of that a little bit, but maybe he rethought it when once he got to the Zoom room from when he was on the field and it's a little more intense. I talked to someone with the Mets today that was like, well, you wouldn't be making this call if Francisco hadn't done that. You know, there's a little bit of like, thanks, buddy, for making this a thing. Um, But that's not my perspective. I think it's obviously tremendous drama, relatively low stakes and that like, you know, no one was harmed in this storyline. No one broke any laws or did anything, you know, really hurtful to any other human being. So it was really just great New York baseball theater that they were going back and forth. And for Stan to be fired up like that is great for him and for the Yankees. He's placid, a placid person who chooses his moments to be um, 
expressive in any way. So I really liked that he was in the middle of that for, for, the, for him. Uh, so it was just, it was, it's good. It's good for the theater of it that Lindor raised it. Uh, then for the Mets though, who just don't necessarily want to be dealing with this. And for the Yankees, I mean, believe me, he's Francisco Lindor is not the favorite in the Yankee clubhouse today, obviously either. I know. Not that he should be. Lindor just can't stay away from the spotlight, which by the way, um, we've talked about his issues with New York, but that, that has some staying power. If you want to be a spotlight guy, eventually um, like this town will embrace you. And I think, look, I said it off the top. um, There were very few things. The Mets are out of the playoffs right now. Uh, They're inching closer, but they're out. Um, Lindor has had a really tough first season on the field, the off the field, thumbs down stuff. Like it's been turbulent. There were very few options he had left. If you had come into last night's game and said, okay, Lindor's only way of winning back the, the fan base, if they don't Mm -hmm. make the playoffs would be to hit three home runs in a game against the Yankees and basically flip off the Yankees in the process. (laughs) <laughs> and then you'd get a curtain call. You'd yeah. win everybody. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. Um, but by the way, to your point, Andy, you know, the first football Sunday of the NFL season, a lot of times, you know, you and I cover baseball. If you flip on football at one o'clock, you're like, man, this is exciting, fast paced. And then you turn on a baseball game. You're like, uh, it's late seasons, the dog days. Um, you know, I was so happy that last night's game had the the drama that it did because it was, in my opinion, the most exciting thing I watched all day. And I watched a lot of sports yesterday. I watched some of the U S open and formula one and football. Mm-hmm. And for, for the Mets and Yankees to be on that theater, uh, you know, doing that yeah. was, was pretty cool. Um, it's great. What, what World did you series. think of, what did you well, think the last of that? two games of the series? Yeah. Not the first. What did you think of, of that moment for Lindor and, and how Mets fans will, will view him. Well, it depends on what happens next, right? Uh, it's easy. You, we create narratives like this in, in retrospect. So it's either his one moment of a disastrous tenure or the beginning of something great for the next decade or something. Honestly, we just, you see how it goes. Defining moments tend to be regarded that way. Once we know what happens next. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think we're going to talk about this at six. Gerard always brings up the the Beltron curtain call in year two, and you know I think that there's always with superstars with the Mets fan base specifically, there are sometimes moments that you can point back to and say it was it was yeah. tough. The numbers tell a story that really isn't how it felt at the time, um, and. Lindor's numbers still aren't great for the season. I mean, they've been better of late, but this just felt like uh, for a full house to give him a curtain call from even a week ago is a totally different place than we've been in. Um, In general, Subway Series, we talked about it on Friday, Andy, about how excited we get for these games. Um, The 9-11 tribute, seeing our friend Todd Zeal with some of the other guys that were playing that year on the Mets. What did you think of of the series in general, other than Friday night's game and and how it unfolded? Well, Friday night was boring, obviously, but the next two nights were great drama, great, great drama. That ninth inning on on Saturday when Higashioka throws out Pilar on the strikeout with one of the most amazing plays you'll watch a catcher see. Chapman struggling, leaving a runner on third. 
Yankees needing that game, the Mets wanting it, I'm sure, just as badly in the moment. And then obviously the drama Sunday related to what we were just talking about, not just, but not just with the whistling, but with the way the game was intense and back and forth and the Lindor stuff. It was just, it was the last two games were just high, high level stuff. It's great. And my only gripe is that, um, you know, for, for those of us that are, are not already uh, obsessive about baseball, that you should please find a way to do this under four hours, especially at night. I mean, it was great theater, but uh, I, I, I know that's a cliched complaint, but Saturday night, I, I believe I read, was the longest regular season Mets-Yankees game of all time, three hours and 58 minutes. That's, that's just a problem. It's just too long to ask of people. Uh, I know. Too long to ask of your audience, especially young people. So, but that's not the Mets and Yankees' fault. Other than that, great theater. My only other gripe was not being able to hear, I'm not even insulting anybody else, but not being able to hear Gary, Keith and Ron explain the complexities of last night and, and look yeah. like to Marley and Buster's credit that Buster reporting that on the broadcast, literally right before everything happened was pretty great timing for the sake of ESPN. But I just think nobody explains the, the nuances of stuff like that better than those three. And it's true. Um, I will say as a, as a fan of the sport, I thought the same thing last night. I always get like, Oh my gosh, look at what's happening. Look at all these. And it was so late in such a long game. I was thinking, I'm glad all those fans are still there credit to them because it's a Sunday night and it, this game is too long. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and I agree with you about Gary, Keith and Ron. I mean, obviously we're, we're under the SMY banner too, but that's one, always one of the bummers I'm sure for fans about big national spotlight games is it's really cool and you get excited about them, but you don't have the people broadcasting it that you would like uh, or that you're used to. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Buster and Marley were the right. Those are two very, very legit reporters who broke a great story in game. So, yeah. Um, once again, you're listening to Shane Anything podcast brought to you by Verizon. It's 5G built right for the Mets from the network. More people rely on only on Verizon. So meanwhile, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I, it's taken us a while to discuss this. The Mets are three games out of the wild card. Now, to bring back football, Andy, uh, been watching the New York Giants closely for a long time. Uh, and every year they start the season like 0 and 5. And people are like, well, the rest of the division stinks. They could still make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And that's a very common thing for fan bases where could is the word. When in reality, we're not, why are you not paying attention to the bad games that they're playing? Right. So for the Mets, I'm kind of somewhere in between because I still think they have a very talented roster. But when I watch them, they don't feel like a well-oiled machine. However, they're closer to the postseason than they were a week ago. So um, I'm trying to figure out whether to take this seriously or not, do you think that given the circumstances, given who they're chasing, that they've got a shot at this thing? Absolutely not. I'm offended <laughs> that you asked. It's been over for a long time. Come on. Well, statistically, it's not, which again is why I keep getting stuck in this rut. But uh, I don't know. Padre's schedule is tough. They're playing all the right teams. Yeah, no. I just, it, I, it's, it, it's shouldn't be a discussion. It's it's in New York sports right now is whether the Mets have a shot. Um, no. Look, mathematically, I could be proven wrong over this, but the thing with the Mets is, and I lost on this one this year. I, I forgot myself, but the whole time I've been following them when they're in something, you usually have to 
take the under on the over under or whatever it is. They, they, they tend to underachieve. But mathematically, you won't be proven wrong. You'll be proven wrong for not believing in them. Right. There, it, it, no, it's not. Mathematically, there's a chance I will be proven wrong. But I'm personally offended that the Mets postseason chances are a conversation on September 13th, given the way the season has gone, because it's not a realistic thing. That's my opinion. Well, I think for the sake of this podcast, mm-hmm. that it is it is not offensive. Well, I think people should listen to this podcast wherever the Mets are in the standings because of our great rapport and um, information. Well, I think, yes, I agree with that because I, I, I like our rapport and your information. I provide none. That's true. But, <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think the Mets are a playoff team. They just don't look like one. But again, then the National League wildcard scene is um, imperfect as a whole. There's there's not a lot of good teams there. And if the Mets start playing good baseball and Degrom comes back and he's throwing three innings at a time in late September, uh, I don't know. It could be I, a fun yeah. fun mess. Can I say something though? I was a, a contradictory to my prior point. At somewhat, I was on the field. Sunday evening before the game. Uh, and there was a Mets person who's like, you know, we really do think that if we can sneak in, Syndergaard and DeGrom will be there in some form or fashion and we're dangerous. So they're still talking about that internally. They should. They got to compete every night. And I Syndergaard do think, can't throw a breaking ball. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But I, I guess you could come out in bullpen, like throwing hard. Uh, they, no one would have to whistle because it would be only one type of pitch. Uh, well, it'd be a changeup. Maybe you'd want to know a changeup's coming. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I, I actually think, obviously, if DeGrom and Syndergaard are there in any way, the Mets could be more of a threat in a postseason series than the Braves will be. Look at you. Look at but, you. Just, but, just let, let's rewind five minutes and, and no, like, you should talk to, to your happen- former self. It's just we've done this too many times, too many years. I'm, I don't like fabricated pennant races for the sake of SMY programming. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, it's, give, it doesn't ring true. Can you give us a little crowd? We're just paying attention <laughs> to the standings, Andy. We're not. Everyone's always not like, what about this? What about that? No, not this year. The Mets are a really talented team who blew it. I, I know. Go and get look, them next year, fellas. I don't think, I don't think we're cheerleading by looking at the numbers. However, um, I don't want to your point. I don't want to buy into the trap that was 2019, the way that season ended, giving our listeners or viewers the sense that the group accomplished something by trying their best and right. finishing the season on a high note, because in reality, that probably ignored some of the, the issues of the roster and the strengths and weaknesses of the players and the stuff that was really important mm-hmm. uh, got ignored by look how hot and, and uh, hot this team was when they finished. And uh, I don't know. So I agree with you yeah, in a sense, you. but I, I do think that there's, there's reason when it's a three game uh, you know, three game window until they're a playoff team to discuss whether they could be a playoff team. Well, I'm glad you mentioned 2019 because that was the most egregious fake pennant race of all time. 
they won exciting games, but they were never really back in it. And everyone acted like they were. Um, I'll also say to all you people out there who are going to complain about what I'm saying now, I would like for the Mets to make the playoffs. It would be fun. I would like to cover a big playoff event. I want the Mets and the Yankees to play each other in the World Series. Above any other, you give me the choice of what could happen in baseball this year. I would say a seven-game Mets-Yankees World Series, please. That's what I want. So I, my personal interest is for them to be in it because of what we do and how much more fun that would make it. But um, they just they kind of blew it. Yeah, I mean, the ESPN showed a stat last night. Pete Alonso was leading the team in batting average at 264. There you go. So the doesn't qualify. That's the one caveat there. There are always going to be reminders of uh, it's this has happened so many times. Look back at April. Mm-hmm. This team's making a run, but if they had won one out of every six games in April, they'd be better than they are now. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's a reason. There's a reason why you're in a hole. And I think that's an important point to bring up. Okay. Plus, if the you know is not there, what are you doing? Like, what are we talking about if DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom is not there and he hasn't? I know. I know. Uh, okay. So we're going to do some um, kind of rapid fire names that Andy presented in a column last week for SNY.TV about potential president of baseball operations. Andy, would that be the title for these yeah. people? Or most okay, likely. So most likely. But, you know, who knows? Maybe some of these guys would have different titles if they were eventually hired. But, I'm just going to name the name. You give us a little info on them, a headline, whether or not you think it's actually feasible or likely. Um, we'll start with Chris Antonetti. As a possibility, as a name that I've heard around the Mets for months, uh, would be a lateral move. So it's not clear if he would get permission from his owners to, to interview with the Mets or whether he would be interested is not clear. He declined to comment before I wrote about this. He did respond to my question with the, polite declining of any kind of comment about this at all. Uh, and uh, the downside would be that he got caught a little bit um, not saying something that might not have been truly forthcoming about what the organization knew about Mickey Calloway. So any connection to Mickey Calloway, uh, not what the Mets are probably looking for, but otherwise extremely respected baseball person. And remind our audience what team Antonetti's with and whether the Cleveland Guardians. Huh? The Guardians. First time I've ever the said Guardians. that. And so the connection that he has with Lindor, would that have anything to do with it? No, no. It would just be that he's good and respected. Uh, Billy Bean. I've heard of this. This, yes, he was in a movie or he was, excuse me. He was played by Brad Pitt in a movie, which is much better. Uh, There's something here, real something here, whether it happens or not, there's a lot that would have to fall into place. Billy Bean has not been working as a, had really it's a GM for quite a while. David Forrest runs the Oakland A's. Billy Bean has a lot of different stuff he's involved in in business and this and that and the other thing. He's currently the president in the baseball ops of the A's, but he would need to decide that he wanted to go back to really going after it on day to day in baseball. But the relationship between Bean and Sandy Alderson goes back to when Alderson made him a front office official in the first place in Oakland after Bean retired. Uh, and perhaps he wants to, perhaps Bean wants to have a winning legacy because despite all the deserved praise about the Moneyball era, he's never won anything. So that could be a pitch that the Mets make to him. Come, you know, the Mets drafted him in the 80s. Come back to where you were drafted and let's win. 
seal off your legacy. And how about the feeling of, you know, a young player in arbitration, him being able to afford re-signing him? That, that would be fun for Billy. I mean, he might for, enjoy that or not having yeah, to he, trade everyone in the third or fourth year if they're any good. Yeah, he might enjoy that feeling. Derek Falvey. Yeah, president of uh, baseball ops for the Twins. A young guy. Uh, again, very respected. I believe he's 38 years old. Um, Nets and the Twins did not love each other during the Jose Barrios discussions. It was a little bit of headbutting there and the deal obviously didn't get done but you know what uh again respected lateral move permission situation is unclear but a name i've heard another name i know theo epstein it's possible no, no people have been downplaying the heck out of this around the mets uh and uh around theo too downplaying on both camps is what i've gotten but I'm not going to downplay all the way into saying this won't happen because there's a lot of smoke there. Uh, it's ultimately just Steve Cohen's decision. I have heard that Cohen has been at least intrigued by Epstein, uh, but there's also people in his ear probably saying like, I don't know if this is your guy. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, but I definitely believe that thus far this link has been dramatically overstated by others in the media because there is no link yet. Literally okay. no discussions, no nothing. He's never met Steve Cohen, no relationship really with Sandy Aldis, and there's nothing there at this time. Eric Neander. Uh, Mets asked permission to talk to him a year ago before they hired Jared Porter. The Rays said no. Mets weren't going to ask again, and Neander's just been extended and promoted anyway. So no chance. No chance on that one. Um, I, again, I, I look at the Rays, and I'm like, I would do anything if I were Steve Cohen to steal anything from them. Well, I think his um, timing was bad because Andrew Friedman, Heim Bloom, and James Click got poached by other teams. And it sounds like with Neander last winter, Stuart Sternberg, the owner of the Rays, was finally like, no, not another one. And instead, well, so he- even though all those guys have gone, it seems like, you know, the people under them, whether it's Neander or even below, have continued to do what those guys did. So there's clearly people to still hire within that organization. Uh, Maybe not. I mean, it just seems like they they pull it off every year, Andy. Yeah, no, for sure. But what the Mets need right now is an, as an established person. Uh, they don't yeah. need to hire like the second assistant GM of, of anybody, even the Rays. They need a president of baseball operations, right? Uh, so that's if they even get one, one point that I should make about this is that the Mets see that there's only like three or four or five, maybe people in the entire industry that could even qualify for what they need. This is not a long list. And they're basically the names we're talking about here. So it's just, they want a very specific thing. um, And and it might be tricky. So last one um, familiar with the Mets organization and name that we throw around all the time. David Stearns. Yeah, they were denied permission like Neander last year, so it's probably where it stays. So for the same reasons, they'll be denied? Probably, yeah. There's just uh, the the Brewers wouldn't let the Mets talk to Stearns last year. Why would they change? If Stearns – what if Stearns – wanted to do the job what if you wanted to to leave the brewers organization to take the mets job why doesn't that happen more often because you if you're under contract you don't really have the right so how how long are these contracts that front office officials usually sign 
I don't know how long Stern's contract is. I don't know if that's public or at least I'm not ready with that information. It could vary. Usually like a three or four year term is standard. I think Brian Cashman has a four year deal. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen, really the last actual general manager of the Mets had a three year deal, something like that. Sometimes more, sometimes they don't disclose it, but obviously just like if either of us were to be asked to interview with another network, like you can't, you know, and that that's unless the president of SNY or somebody like says like, you have this one-time permission to talk to someone else. It's like a whole thing because we're under contract. Right. So right. same situation. Yeah. I just, so I needed some clarification there because I wasn't sure if it was a year to year thing with front office people, because I remember you and others reporting on Brody's contract, but we rarely hear about yeah. like a GM or a president of baseball ops deal and how long their deal is because it's more like normal job life as opposed to a player. Teams don't love to have it out because then there's the right. conversation around it. But we do know this is like, for example, we know that Cashman is under contract through next year. Uh, we just have, they, I believe it was either announced or reported at the time that he signed a four-year deal, his last deal. So it does get known. Brody's deal, I don't think was announced, but we found out. Sandy Alderson right now has a two-year contract that was never announced, but it's a fact. So, you know, these things get out. Turns out you just have to talk to people who know these things. Yeah. Um, once again, a reminder that Shannoning podcast is brought to you by Verizon. It's 5G built right for the Mets from the network. More people rely on only on Verizon. By the way, that was the first time I've done this. No script. Just that's amazing. Off, off the top Good of my head. You. And you know, what's funny is I, I used to wonder if like Gary Cohen, Michael K, the play-by-play guys that I listened to, um, the, uh, the read that they do about what is it? The, uh, this copyright telecast is, yeah like whether they have that memorized. And if I have picked up the Verizon read in like six months, I bet they oh, have they it memorized. Must. Yeah. I've just always pictured them reading it, but I guess they're just staring at the game, saying a bunch of words. <laughs> There'd be something wrong with their brains if they didn't have that paragraph committed to memory, right? It could be the, the Dwight Schrute thing from the office. I could not memorize it because I do not believe it. <laughs> could be although i believe and i'm sure they share that belief that the broadcast is trademark of mlb i mean that's just yes a simple no fact. yeah um I believe that to be true yeah the, the office scene is uh michael wants him to apologize for something and he writes down right. i state my regret that's right i remember that um like he likes the office people if you haven't picked yes, up I on do. that yet if you like The Office too, tweet at me and just say you like The Office and I'll respond. I do there like The Office. That's a nice cordial conversation. Uh, reminder to subscribe to the Shane Anything Podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening, everybody. Um, we will have Keith coming up later on this week for our Thursday episode. We will talk to you then. 